The Athletic. Six games into the Premier League season and Arsenal remain unbeaten. Yet, in attack, Eddie Nketiah and Gabriel Jesus have just three goals between them. Outscored by six other teams and the goal-scoring burden sitting on Bukaya Saka's shoulders, do Arsenal need a goal-scorer? I'm Ayawa Kimulere. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. We're talking about the margins now, and if that's you, you, you need to score those goals. Two nil makes that a different game. All right, with us on this one, we have the Athletics football correspondent David Ornstein, as well as our Arsenal writer Arsene Rocher. Now, before we get into it today, remember you can leave us a rating or review wherever it is you're listening. And also, don't forget to follow and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Now we've got all the formalities out of the way, let's talk about North London Derby. And I'm going to start really talking North London Derby with a quote from Tim Spears' article saying on his comment of the game, It made for a breathtaking encounter between two youthful, confident, attack-minded, but also flawed sides, played at a terrific pace with drama and an odd dollop of controversy. I think that's kind of quite accurate. So, Dave, let's come to you. Assessment and a North London derby, 2-2, honours even on the day. I thought it was a fair result, Io, and um, I'm not sure anybody could really argue with that. Maybe Arsenal, given their sort of early pressure and the opportunity to go 2-0 up, at home, um, felt they should have won the match. And then the way Tottenham came on after that, and especially towards the end, a lot of anxiety around the Emirates Stadium, that maybe they were a bit disappointed to come away without the three points. But it was a great high-tempo, intense, pulsating at times, error-strewn at others, North London derby to get Ange Postacoglu into this mad world uh, of Arsenal versus Tottenham, Tottenham versus Arsenal. Both retain their unbeaten starts to the season. Um, I think a little bit of calm and perspective is needed. I think there's Arsenal fans worried, especially with the injuries and the fact that they've lost a bit of ground on Manchester City uh, and Manchester City around the corner for them on the 8th of October. Just pangs of concern, the goalkeeping situation, where are the goals coming from, etc. So Tottenham maybe come away a little bit happier as the away team who um, are exceeding expectations so far this season. But overall, when the dust settles, I I think a a bit of equilibrium um, will leave both clubs in relatively... um, happy states of mind yeah Art, see if you can take your your arsenal cap on for this one off for this one i should say uh, i mean look uh, from an unbiased perspective that is what football is about right a, a, a derby pulsating silly mistakes you know great goals lapses of concentration honors even you watch that match what are your thoughts and where arsenal are at yeah in terms of just the the nature of the game as you mentioned i i think there was like a five minute spell where it was almost like a school football match <laughs> where everyone was just chasing after each other. And there was a moment where I think it was Saar just fell over uh, by the touchline. And obviously because it was at the Emirates, everyone kind of laughed. But in terms of where Arsenal are at, I, I still feel there is more to come. Everybody was looking at the PSV victory or something that maybe, okay, carry that into the weekend and then almost kickstart the season from there, but they weren't able to do it. Um, And as things stand, they're in a decent place. They're not in a bad place at all because they've proven, I think, that they are a solid team. I don't think there's any question of that. It's just about getting that fluidity back that they had so often 
uh, last season that's just taken a bit of a while to to kick into gear so far this year. David, uh, Ange Postacoglu said it after the match, you know, he, he was more than happy with the performance, you know, whether they won or lost Tottenham, you know, who was happy with how his team conducted themselves. Let's flip that onto Arsenal's side. Mikel Artatis had this whole season last year where they came so close and you saw we all saw Arsenal dip off towards uh, the, the back end of the season. Would he be happy after that match about in, in the way he, his team performed in a North London derby at home, especially? Not massively, but there's loads of context around this IO that means we need to look at the sort of wider picture. So uh, football changes so fast, as Arsenal know only too well, how they turn from crisis club to Premier League competitors, challengers to Manchester City last season. And the way Arteta has overseen this upsurge in fortunes um, is something maybe Tottenham will now hope to experience themselves. So uh, their expectations were on the floor over the summer. Ange Postacoglu comes in, there's suddenly a bit of chemistry, some good signings. They've got away from the doom and gloom that sort of enveloped the Mourinho and Conte eras. And then suddenly they're buzzing. And, you know, they, they, they were they were a couple of minutes away from losing to Sheffield United in their previous game, but they rally to win that and they come to the Emirates Stadium. And certainly, you know, the way that they tried to play out from the back, I was there too. It, it really struck me, the bravery, even after the Madison mistake that should have been punished by Gabriel Jesus. They sort of took that as a turning point. We've got away with one here, lads. And then they um, were the dominant team for the rest of that half and, and competed well, in the second, to your question, Arteta, um, yeah, expectations will shift relatively this season for him too. So Arsenal were a surprise package in 2022 to 23. They're not anymore and they've upgraded. They they broke the British transfer record for an English player with the signing of Declan Rice. He, he was just what they needed. Uh, he's had a good start to life at the Emirates Stadium. He goes off at half time. Not ideal. Um, they come into the match with their most potent attacker, you could argue, this season. Uh, certainly the winning goal scorer at, at Everton, Leandro Trossard, injured in the training session before the match. So I travelled to the Emirates. Um, I, I'd heard these whispers around around. Trossard. Um, it was confirmed before kickoff. I did expect Arsenal to win the match given form and, and prowess and, and last season and everything around it, home atmosphere fans. When I heard Trossard was out, I thought there was a very good chance it could be a draw. Eddie Nketiah, you know, it's not hit the ground running so far this season at, at the extent he would expect. Gabriel Jesus, I think that was, was it his first Premier League start and, and uh, he's still he's so important, but he's still working his way back from that knee injury to full fluidity. Gabriel Martinelli is a big loss as well. Thomas Partey's out, the base of that midfield. I, I thought that underpinned everything. I, I, it, it took away Arsenal's expectation, Mikel Arteta's game plan to a large extent. This is, and Art has mentioned this on the Athletic um, Daily Football Briefing, this is a, a real test now in a crucial period for Arsenal before this international break. And don't think Arteta will be like majorly worried. He believes in this squad, but clearly we're in a much more competitive Premier League this season than last season. Yeah, uh, you were sort of nodding there and I, I'm sort of alluding to um, the Monday briefing column. Nick um, Miller's Monday briefing column sort of talked about, you know, how, you know, our... Arsenal aren't now the only team gunning for City. You know, last season was a bit of an anomaly. Other teams around them have also learned to play against Arsenal. So, you know, 
with a mixture of personnel, a mixture of newer ideas again in this season. It's about managing expectation. But, you know, what we saw last season won't necessarily happen this season for Arsenal. No, and I think that's why when you look at how Arsenal have upgraded, they have also tried to look at different combinations. When we talk about, okay, they missed X amount of players. The big thing is, and... I took this from the Community Shield win against Manchester City. If you saw how they set up there, it was all about physicality. Obviously, they were missing Jesus up top, so that's why Havertz started that day. But in midfield, it was Declan Rice and Thomas Partey. For the whole of the second half, they didn't have either of those midfielders. And it pretty much just took one pass for Tottenham to, to break through them. So I think that's where you saw, I guess, how big a factor context is, as David mentioned, but also just the different ways that they've tried to play. That's a big reason for why they haven't looked as they did last season, because they started the season with Thomas Partey at right back with Ben White at centre-back as well, trying to unlock new ways to play. And with that, it takes time. Um, Now we're seeing probably a lineup that's more uh, familiar or a shape that's more familiar and as you say Io, teams now kind of know how to play against that the goal um, the first goal in the second half that's Arsenal's first attack where they have space to run into and you see how dangerous they can be um, but they're not going to be afforded that space too often so that's why they've needed to just kind of work out a few different ways to try and both draw teams onto them, but also attack teams. And I think we saw that in the way they approached the first half, really, because it was pretty much, okay, let Tottenham have the ball and try to almost feed off that, set them traps to run into, which they did for that uh, Jesus chance. But also a few times earlier on in the half, they really struggled to play out of Arsenal's press and Arsenal looked like, if it was probably a, a less brave side, they could have capitalised. So yeah, I think you're seeing Arsenal just shifting, not just expectations, but also how they approach certain games because they have to, because teams have learnt what they do best. So now <laughs> they always have to find out better ways to do different things. It's a busy, totally football show available now featuring the vocal talents of Charlie Eccleshare, Adrian Clark, and Daniel Story. We're breaking down match day six of the Premier League, which featured one or two matches amongst them, the North London derby, and of course that extraordinary 8-0 performance by Newcastle away in the all-Saudi affair at Bramwell Lane. Loads of facts and fun as we round up all of that in the latest Totally Football Show. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. You're listening to The Athletic Football Podcast with Ayo Akinwalere. David, I was just thinking about, I mean, this is 
purely from a, a, a fan's perspective and not journalistic at all, just because what do I know about team selections? But you sort of look at it and you think Gabriel Jesus, natural goal scorer, stick him up front. Eddie Nketiah, do you start him or not? Or do you bring someone like Smith Rowe, Reese Nilsson on who are chomping at the bit to get into this team and naturally fit that position well, even though Martinelli is lost? You know, we've spoken about Eddie Nketiah not hitting the ground running with the same potency as he did last season. Um, could that have been an issue? Could that be an interesting one for Gabriel Jesus to just do his striking, which we know he can, and just leave the responsibility of a wide player who naturally feels that way to, to, to sort of sit there? I always feel a Wally speaking about what managers should do. We do this with know, Pep Guardiola too, all the time right? and Jurgen Klopp, and it's like, goodness me, they've managed hundreds of professional football matches <laughs> at the very top level, and suddenly we know more. However... <laughs> Um, I was doing some broadcast stuff before the match and the assumption when we saw the team lineups was that Gabriel Jesus would go up front for such an important match. But the reality is that Jesus has been more effective when required on the wide position for Manchester City and a little bit for Arsenal, uh, maybe even Brazil, than Eddie Nketiah has in his career. So let's be rational about this. It's probably best to back this young centre-forward who is really a centre-forward and not a wide player to give that a go he doesn't really have many options and you know there is this conversation that we're going to come on to about uh, whether Arsenal need to now go into the market and and really get themselves a headline striker to polish this team off and and that subject in itself reminds us that this is a sort of team that is still evolving and they've done great work in the transfer market but they do have to do more it's also a position that's incredibly hard for many teams to fill at the moment you know when you see Manchester United spending 70 odd million on a very young and unproven striker with potential. I referred to him in a television appearance I did, Rasmus Hoyland, as being a developmental striker. And the presenter couldn't believe I was using that word for a player of such price. And and so this is the, the difficulty that all or many clubs are facing at the moment in that striking position. Arsenal do have a bit of a goal-scoring issue because there's nobody sort of obviously standing out as being that 25-30 goal-a-season frontman who, whether they exist in um, plentiful supply across football, you're going to need that to compete with a Manchester City. And if you don't have it, you're going to have to sort of find it from elsewhere. And it sort of brings us to the wider debate about Arteta's selections and Maybe that will be put to the test now because of the injuries. They're going to be presumably taking a stronger look at somebody like Emil Smith-Rowe, who was sensational before his injury. He's come back from injury. It's been a difficult year or so. He did really well for the England under-21s, but we, we've barely seen him at all. I, I thought he was good when he came on yesterday, and, and let's see if he gets his chance against Brentford and beyond. Now, again, like we can't ignore the fact that if there are shifting expectations on the team, there are shifting expectations on the manager, the sporting director, the recruitment setup. You spend £65 million on Havertz, who everyone at Arsenal hopes will fulfil his potential. And in a strange way, he has shown flashes of what he can do. It's going to take time. I was actually quite surprised. He's backed him for the big game so far this season. Community Shield against City, Manchester United. Then it came to Tottenham. Just when he had actually been showing a bit of rhythm 
and then he didn't play him. For that level of expenditure, there is going to be scrutiny on the decision makers because whether you like it or not, Granit Xhaka was really contributing very heavily, arguably his best season for Arsenal in that left-sided number eight role. I'm not saying that was sustainable. He wanted to move clearly. Arsenal struck a decent deal that financially mitigates a bit of the, the Havertz expenditure. But then the, the, the other big recruit was Durian Timber and he's so unfortunate to suffer an ACL. So a bit more expectation on, on those people, but also mitigation as well. I'm doing my normal fence sitting thing, but it's a I, really I love that. Yeah, dilemma. I mean, you didn't really add to it, but I, I see what you're doing there. But oh, you're sort of nodding there. I mean, and, and I'm really interested in this attacking angle of things. And we'll move on much more deeply into it in just a second. But were you surprised to see Eddie Nketiah up front as opposed to Gabriel Jesus? Or did you just feel that, you know, Arteta picked the strongest potential squad he could have so the talk in the in the press lounge before the lineups were announced were okay Trossard's looking like he's not playing so who do you go with and decision with the head seemed to be Nelson and then the decision with the heart seemed to be Smith Rowe so Enketia didn't actually come up into the conversation just because the assumption was Jesus would go through the middle so for me that's kind of where journalistically we were pre-match uh when the lineups were then announced you saw the thinking behind it because Eddie Nketiah is someone who's going to press and you know with that um I guess front three plus Erdegaard behind them that was the way Arsenal were going to set up you knew it before kickoff because that's the attributes that they have um and I felt again first half an hour they did that well, but when we got to half time again, the talk was okay, probably a change is needed here so they can actually play football themselves a bit more. So it was really interesting, quite surprising um, to see that uh, Nelson actually didn't come on until later in the second half, just because whenever he, he has had an opportunity, he's made an impact in games and. I guess it is also comes down to, okay, who's actually trusted? Because as David mentioned, Havertz has been trusted quite often so far this season. He also probably brought some physicality that left when Declan Rice left. So his first action was actually a really nice flick on to Jesus on the left. But going forward, I think, yeah, I, I was probably expecting a slightly different setup because I felt they could be a bit more threatening with different options. One glaring chance that came and went for Arsenal fell to Gabriel Jesus uh, in the first half. And we've already mentioned this already, but it has led to talk of the Gunners perhaps needing to add more firepower to their ranks. But what does the data actually say? Well, we asked Mark Carey to crunch the numbers. Arsenal might have missed a few good chances at the weekend, but I don't think this is cause for too much concern. Uh, it's still very early on in the season, and while Arsenal's non-penalty goals scored might be a little bit undercooked compared with their expected goals so far this campaign, they're not dramatically below the league average, and their shot on target percentage of 40% is above the current league average of 36% in the early part of the season. I think it's a strength of Arsenal's that they share the goals across the team, so think about last season, Martin Odegaard, Gabriel Martinelli, Bukayo Saka and Gabriel Jesus all scored 10 or more goals. So four goal scorers with 10 plus goals is, is more than Manchester United had, Manchester City, Liverpool 
and Newcastle among the top five teams last season. So it shows to me that they don't really need to rely heavily on a single goal scorer. And this will be by design from Nikola Arteta because Arsenal arguably don't have that single prolific goal scorer in the squad. So obviously Gabriel Jesus is now back from injury and playing through the middle and it adds a different dimension to Arsenal's attack in the way that he links up with the midfield and the forward line and we know how good he is in leading the line out of possession but Jesus has never been a, a clinical goal scorer and looking at the numbers that really backs it up so since 2017-18 in the Premier League he's underperformed against his expected goals in four of those six full seasons so that suggests to me that he doesn't add too much value in the opportunities that, that he has overall uh, and that, that shot off target against Spurs on Sunday was a good example of that lack of clinical edge. And I guess the question is, will that be a problem for Arsenal across this season? And the answer is, I suppose, we shall see. But I think it's better to share the goals around the team, knowing that you've got multiple people who can, who can chip in. And of course, that is providing that they can convert their chances at a rate you'd expect them to. Yeah, thanks for that, Mark. And I guess to surmise that, really, we're talking about it being great to share the goals around. You know, um, a lot of players got 10 plus goals last season. And as we've seen with Manchester City up until Haaland comes into the squad, City sort of have shared the goals around quite well and been successful at it. But this season's interesting because Saka's the top goal scorer for Arsenal. And I know Jesus has been injured, but... Art, is there a glaring need? Is it that urgent that Arsenal need that definitive striker? I think it becomes more of a talking point in the bigger games because it's so emotional when you see Enketia going for that chance and a lot of people just see the screenshot and say, what's happening? But if you're that player in that moment, it's just a split second decision. Same with Jesus, the Jesus chance where... On, in hindsight, everyone's saying, just take another touch, set yourself and then shoot. It's having someone who's actually calm in those situations. We know how good a player Jesus is, how important he is for the, his general play, as well as being a good striker. But it is those big moments in big games where you just say, okay, maybe it, these are the situations where it may be best to have another option, which I understand because... Those are the moments that separate things uh, in the course of a season. In general terms, I think they're fine um, sharing the goals because you have pretty much five attackers in all games for Arsenal. So I think from just a team standpoint, they're okay. But it is those big moments where you may look to someone a bit more reliable um, because, again, even last season, it was those moments where you're just thinking, ah, if that was different, maybe the season would have turned out a little bit differently. So I get it. And especially coming off such an emotional game like yesterday's. Yeah. Uh, David, I want your sort of tip on this or any sort of insight you have, especially Martin Odegaard um, signing a new contract um, at Arsenal or contract extension, I should say. Uh, look, this season, only 11 goals scored from 11.4 expected goals. Is the issue more than around um, chance creation? I've been to the last two games and watched them closely. They seem to be creating quite um, a lot of chances and openings and carving teams apart, but it just seems maybe a lack of incisiveness. 
in that final third and that taps into what art's saying and it's why there is um sort of growing conversation about whether arsenal may buy someone i mean that brings its own complications on many levels in terms of whether the finance is available, what players are available, what the market's like in the middle of the season, who would fit into Arsenal's current setup, what impact would that have on their existing players? I mean, there weren't many calling for Arsenal to sign a new striker when Gabriel Jesus uh, went through against Manchester United and, and finished expertly. And I think what we have seen in the last year is that they do have the poise to score and, um, and, sustain it right until the latter stages of last season when art talks you through those different positions and when i think back to how odegaard and and vieira can create obviously vieira is is underwhelming some supporters and commentators um but we know he is a nice player he's creative and he can actually score as well he's shown he just needs to achieve some consistency I don't want to labour the point but I really think it would be nice to see Smith Rowe given more of an opportunity um he's a proven creator let's see what happens on on Martinelli uh, I think I was reading that he's not included in the Brazil squad for the upcoming World Cup qualifying doubleheader that normally indicates that you won't see a player operating for their club in the meantime and that's not confirmed but that's normally the course of action so Arsenal might be without him for a little bit so I'm actually not massively concerned about Arsenal's um, starting creativity again was concerned about it post injuries and changes and setbacks and adversity I thought they looked very impotent towards the end of that match and there was no Arsenal that we've come to know which is um, this galvanised swashbuckling finish where they're peppering the goal and creating from all sorts. And and I actually think that starts below. I, I really feel it starts with the Rice Party position. That's the platform that allows the others to excel. And when they're not there, there's that worry in your head of, of what might happen behind you. And that also seemed to unsettle the defensive line on Sunday as well. So really, it brings us on to the question of of the striker, in my view, rather than the creators. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akimolev. David, you talked about options earlier. Um, Florian Balogun, uh, it's just a, such a tricky one from an Arsenal fan perspective, seeing someone who was on such hot form in France sort of leaving the club. So go play straight in Monaco um, and he's duly deserved as well. Um, was it a tricky one letting him go for, for from an Arsenal perspective? Was it about cashing in FFP rules or anything around that? Uh, or was it simply a, a, a striker who knew he probably wasn't going to make going to make this starting lineup and wanted to actually go get some first team football elsewhere I think this is an itch that you and other Arsenal fans need scratching because it's bubbling in in the background isn't it although when he missed two penalties um certainly we wouldn't have him on on that responsibility for Arsenal um no I I think it was quite straightforward and and we reported it extensively at the time following Balogun uh, after his season in in Ligue 1 and how well he did. He wanted to be the first choice. He's 22 years old. It's not like he's an 18-year-old or something. And he's not going to be first choice at Arsenal. You know, the contract that Eddie Nketiah signed a year and a half ago now, the summer before the one just gone, said that they are putting their eggs in the Nketiah basket. You've got Jesus, who's an undisputed, you know, first choice um, attacker when everybody's sort of fit, etc. And so... 
Balogun's place in the pecking order, whether we like it or not, was not at the top. And if he wanted it to be at the top, then he had to make a decision. Do I leave permanently or do I go on loan? He'd already had a couple of loan spells. He didn't want to go on another one. That's his prerogative. His contract was into its last two years, I think. So he has a decision to make. Do I sign a new contract? I'm sure if he wanted to and was invested in the project, Arsenal would have given him one. But if he's not going to, which he decided he wasn't going to, then Arsenal need to cash in. Most right-minded thinking fans and observers didn't have much of a, a problem with that. I think it's an easy excuse to use to say, oh, look at, you know, this young talent who could be scoring goals for us and is now doing so elsewhere. He didn't do so well at Middlesbrough in his loan spell previously. He did really well last season. Let's see how he does this season. But I think it's more a question on Arsenal's lips of could we get someone else from within the market? And when it seemed Arsenal were committing a permanent expenditure to David Raya, I think we all had a feeling within football, why aren't they spending that sort of money on a striker? Because that's what they really need right now. And Ramsdale was a top keeper in his own right. And there was no urgent need for a new goalkeeper. But then when it emerged that they managed to structure a deal for Raya that was a loan with an option to buy, would you have been able to do that for a striker of repute who could improve the squad? Probably not. And so, yeah, to answer your question, you know, there are FFP considerations in all of this. There are contractual things at play. And I think now it's about whether Arsenal have the resources financially and are ready to go for a striker in January next summer. Your presumption would be they are because that appears to be one of only a couple of positions in the team that really could do with some strengthening. But it's easier said than done. Clubs are now gambling on the the next big thing, whether it be a Hoyland or Velis, I think his name is at, at Spurs. So, you know, who, who's coming through at Liverpool? They've obviously spent an enormous amount of money on Darwin Nunes. The jury has been a little bit out. He now appears to be hitting his stride. But then when Mo Salah, if and when Mo Salah goes, he's now into his 30s and we've seen the, the Saudi story. Where are these strikers coming from? And, and, and it presents a much more complex and complicated picture than just go out and get Ivan Tony. Yeah, I think you're right. I'm even thinking of teams like Barcelona looking at young starters like Victor Roque and, you know, in, in, in Brazil, you know, they're going that, you know, that young, you know, it's really interesting. Uh, Art, just a, a, a quick one on the Ivan Tony and also the Balogun conversation. David said there, you know, I mean, if, if you're sifting through the strikers out there, literally lifting rocks here and there, going, where can I find a striker? I mean, Ivan Tony's a very likely option for, for Arsenal. Is that a type of player that Arsenal need? And is that a type of player that Arsenal want? I think for a while, he's looks like the almost perfect profile of player, um, just because he brings contrast to what, um, what Jesus and Nketiah do. He's got a very good presence, I'd say. People are actually shocked that he's not like six foot two, six foot three because of how potent he is in the air. But also he's technically very good. Such a clean player who's also able to move with the ball. So he's someone when when I talk about someone who's just almost cold in the box he comes to mind. So it's not a surprise that it's been reported that Arsenal would be interested or that he's interested in Arsenal. But 
as David said, sometimes one plus one doesn't always equal two in football, unfortunately for clubs, players or whatever. But that is the, I guess, the type of striker you'd look for if you were Arsenal, someone who is able to do a bit of everything because they have a player in Jesus who's very comfortable in just moving that point of attack wherever he pleases and is able to really combine well with players around him. Then they've got someone in Nketiah who's a lot more, I guess, aggressive in what he does off and on the ball. Then you're just looking for someone, I guess, who has a bit more presence up up top. So Tony is a name that uh, springs to the mind. Another one is Ossiman, I think. I who... mean, the, mon- the money. You have to put down for someone like Ossiman. It's just a, you're, you're breaking records again. You know, that is a... And we won't, Arsenal won't be the only team sifting <laughs> or sniffing, I should say. Me saying that name is more just to give an example of the profile rather than specifically saying Arsenal will be looking at him. Um, so that type of striker, I guess, is where eyes would probably go to if I were Arsenal. There was a small pool that clubs were looking at, the likes of Man United, Chelsea. Uh, they included uh, Gonzalo Ramos, who has now gone to PSG. So that's one gone. Um, Hoyland was within that. He's gone. Uh, Kane was within it. He's gone. And so Osimhen is one um, that's going to be of interest to the market. I'm following Art's line of not linking him with Arsenal, and I don't know of any link with Arsenal. Uh, Tony will be a really interesting one. We can't talk about that Balogun contract situation without saying the same about Tony. He's contracted until 2025 at Brentford. Uh, He'll be back in action from January. That's a year and a half before the end of his terms. So Brentford will be needing to make a decision on him. Could they tie him down to a new contract in a way they sort of did with David Raya? There have been reports that they're ready to offer him a massive contract to uh, extract the maximum value from a player who still might be sold, but they could get a higher price for him. But he has to play ball in that. And if we're in January with a year and a half to go and he's not prepared to sign, then there is a very good chance, you presume, and I'm not wanting to upset Brentford fans here, just logically that he goes, whether it be in January or the summer with 12 months left on his contract, it will still extract a really big fee because of the the lack of um, supply to the demand. And he's moved agencies. Um, I was reading to CAA Stella and you tend to move agencies when you're either looking to negotiate a new contract or make a transfer. So this, without doubt, is going to be one of the biggest stories of the transfer window coming forward. But as soon as you look at a Chelsea who are in even stronger need than Arsenal, although they don't have Champions League football, he hasn't spoken publicly. I was actually at a Chelsea game last season and I walked past Ivan Tony. I think he was there with Rhys James while Rhys James was out injured. So I'll get the tongues wagging on that one. Um, David, no more speculation on Ivan Tony to Chelsea. Come on. You heard it here first. It's just a fact. He was <laughs> watching a football match at Stamford Bridge and 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 so that there aren't many more when you when you start to look around and yeah you can you can you can find players from other leagues and and there are strikers who will do well this season and will get everybody talking but that's a massive stretch to then say they're going to come into a Chelsea or to an Arsenal in the case of Arsenal they have to be an improvement they have to be the right character they have to be the right salary level they have to be gettable in January and that's easier said than done. I think you see it with what happened last January or this January, since we're still in 2023, 
obviously the direction of travel for so long looked like it would be Mudrick for Arsenal. But he goes to Chelsea and he turns to Trossard. And Trossard has arguably been their best player of this calendar year, I'd say. Um, sometimes things will surprise you, pleasantly surprise you. So even if, say, Tony goes somewhere elsewhere that isn't Arsenal, there may be a player there who we don't know yet, <laughs> um, who can maybe have an impact. Um, so I think it's, yeah, a really interesting kind of almost environment to see develop. That's such a crucial point that I'd just like to jump in on quickly. Evan Ferguson has been talked about. Um, the next one, absolute gem that Brighton have produced and and they expect him to stay long-term. But of course, the vultures will circle. I think Man United have already been heavily linked with him. People have mentioned Arsenal in dispatches because every big club and a good player they get linked with. Um, but let's see how players develop in that period that Art mentions. You've got um, Ollie Watkins at uh, Aston Villa. Again, he got the winner at Chelsea to get himself in goal-scoring form. He hasn't signed a new contract yet, to my knowledge. He's a bit older than some of the players that these clubs are looking at. And when you talk about Brentford and Tony, I immediately think of like what an um, impressive signing Kevin Sharder was, although I think he's picked up an injury. You know, Brian and Buemo there. That we shouldn't turn our nose up at some of these players when we're, we're talking about the market. And again, you don't want to start linking and selling other clubs' players, but there there are opportunities that appear around Europe and the game that maybe you're not expecting so much. And and that's the job of Arsenal's recruitment operation, to be living up to this billing that they've, they've been very impressive in, in recent times. And they changed it under Edu, the, the sporting director, didn't they? They went sort of more intelligent scouting and they streamlined their operation a few years ago. They saw a lot of scouts depart and they went more video and tried to sort of modernize. And there were a few job title changes within um, the last year. And and let's see if that's put to the test. And of course, the bra- the backing of the, the ownership, the Cronkies, the, the finances, which have come so far. Like, I don't hear many questioning anymore, spend some expletive money because Arsenal have been spending heavily. Now is more a question of um, whether they're bringing in the revenues to comply with financial fair play. So it is a fascinating situation and, and it wouldn't surprise me if Arsenal do something. But what we've explained today is there's so many more elements before you get there. Yeah, definitely. You know what? I feel like this could be two pods in one because I still wanted to ask you so much more about this new Arsenal squad with all the outgoings looking like Mikel Arteta's Arsenal now, finally. But uh, we'll leave that for now and have it. I know the big chat about Arsenal at, at some point in the season. David Arts, thank you so much for, for your time and thank you a lot for listening as well. Don't forget you can sign up to The Athletic today for a special limited time offer of just £1 a month for 12 months at theathletic.com forward slash football pod. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Athletic Football Podcast. The producers were Adonis Pratsides and Guy Clark, with additional production by Mike Stavro and Jay Beal. The executive producer was A.D. Moorhead. To listen to other great Athletic Football Podcasts for free, search for The Athletic on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places and head to theathletic.com slash footballpod for the very latest subscription offers. The Athletic Football Podcast is an Athletic Media Company production. The Athletic.